2: Oh uh-huh.
0: Hello, everybody.
3: Welcome to another episode of Audio Judo. I'm Kyle. And I am Matthew. And what? Oh, man. we need a. I feel like I need a hype man. Right? We have got such a big topic today. But first, you got any old business, I Matthew? I do. I do. Just as a reminder, we are a proud member of the Pantheon Podcast Network. Uh, for the last couple of episodes, I've been using this time to promote one of our partner podcasts, and this time is no different, uh, one of my favorite music podcasts. And I need to emphasize that the Pantheon Podcast Network is a group of podcasts devoted to music, music history, and discussion. Uh, So one of my favorites is uh, I'm In Love With That Song podcast uh, that devotes its time to breaking down one particular song at a time. It's very thoughtful, very entertaining. Uh, If you have interest in something like that, go over to PantheonPodcasts.com and check it out. And then as usual... Come back to AudioJudo.com and listen to one of our older episodes and get all caught up with our shenanigans.
0: Oh, shenanigans is the right word for it.
3: I do like the word shenanigans. I feel like it doesn't get enough play. Um, Also, it's great to be saying this, uh, but as of right now, which is mid-July 2020 when we're actually recording this, mm-hmm. uh, we just passed 8,000 downloads in our wow. first year, which is such a great start. It's uh, pretty amazing to think that people in 45 states... Uh, and in 55 countries, are listening to the ramblings of two guys. But right, that's just, where we're at.
0: Yeah, just a couple of days ago from a recording, we released our 30th episode. Yeah, uh, that marked one year. Uh, yeah, it was. Uh, it's been a journey for sure.
3: Right, we interviewed, and
0: we, and we still haven't done journey.
3: So. We haven't done journey yet. A little bit, a little bit, a little bit. Uh, we interviewed some pretty amazing musicians and artists. Uh, we're just getting warmed up. We have a great second season planned. Uh, So we hope you will be coming back, get in touch with us, and tell us what you want to hear. Yeah. Today we are shaking it up a little bit like we do every once in a while on this program. Uh, We are stepping away from our normal breakdown of an album and taking on a separate topic. And today we are talking about video game music. Good Lord, what a broad topic it is. It's it's pretty broad. And because I am what many of you would refer to as a geezer... (laughs) I would say this isn't necessarily in my wheelhouse. Uh, <laughs> Kyle has more experience in this area, uh, but even his might not be as extensive as some other people. No. Uh, so we called in an expert. Not too young, not too old. We feel that he is just the right age. We welcome to the show for the first time my oldest son, Christian. Welcome aboard, son. Hello. It's nice to be here. <laughs> well, it's nice to have you yeah. here. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> So uh, I would say this young man is the uh, right person for the discussion. Uh, he has been playing video games his whole life. No matter
0: how much his father beat him not to.
3: Exactly.
2: <laughs> He's also... Well, a music- I was actually... What? What? I was actually born in the year that Pokemon Red came out, the first Pokemon game. So There you go. Oh, wow. I don't even know what that <laughs>
3: means. Uh, but he is a musician as well. And because he is my son, he has a discerning ear when it comes to music. just going to go
0: ahead and say that. Just
3: go go with it, Kyle. So, uh, video game music. Back in my day, (laughs) there was really no such thing as video game music per se. There were video game sound effects and some noises associated with the game, but I wouldn't necessarily call them music. Uh, More than anything... Sounds were secondary to the game being played. Now, for those listeners out there who are curious, yes, my first home video game experience was Pong. It was connected (laughs) to my parents' black and white TV in their bedroom. And kids, if you're listening, a TV that showed only things in black and white, even if the actual program was in color. That was what I played my first video game. (laughs) on. Wow. I know. Did you have to hand crank the Pong machine to get it to work? Sometimes you had to change the, the squirrel. Oh, okay. You know, on the, the thing, the hamster wheel. Hamster wheel, not squirrel, <laughs> hamster. The hamster on the hamster wheel had to get swapped out. Uh, the first game, to my knowledge, and I'm probably wrong, to have a continuous soundtrack other than like squeaks and stuff was Space Invaders.
0: That is correct. As uh, far as we can tell.
3: Released in 1978, well before you guys were born. I was six. Yes. It had, uh, what, four descending chromatic bass notes, uh, and it was done in a loop that was interactive in as much as if the pace of the enemies increased, so did the pace of the music. So the majority of my experience with video games is centered around uh, the Atari 2600. Some of our older listeners can relate to that. Games like Defenders, Keystone Capers, Mega Mania were the games I grew up on. But I don't remember the music. The themes I remember... Pitfall and Frogger. Okay. And everybody remembers Pitfall and Frogger. But the rest of it was pretty forgettable. And the next generation, consoles such as Nintendo are, are the ones that I think Kyle can speak more accurately about.
0: A little bit more. Um, obviously, the, the sound quality improved a lot. It was still, by today's standards, super, super limited. They had, I believe on the original Nintendo, they had only three audio channels, meaning they could only play three of any effect at one time. Mm. I think researching this kind of stuff gets into this very deep electronics hole you have to understand the electronics and I don't Mm. so they're very um, complicated but uh, they were super super limited Uh, this is also sort of the uh, the era where you started to get what most people call like eight bit music. Because it was coming from 8-bit consoles. Mm-hmm. And most people recognize that. It's very um, electronic sounding. It's very broken up. Usually the notes don't have a lot of like dither or fade to them. They're very like precise most of the time. Was that
3: word you just used? Dither. Dither.
0: Dither. I don't know if that's... I'm not a musician, so I don't know what the actual word <laughs> would be there. But uh, I'm sure there is one. Then, obviously, as consoles progressed, uh, PCs also... or Well, gaming computers started to become uh, more of a thing as well sound blaster everybody who had an early gaming computer wanted a sound blaster because you went from that little internal speaker that just went beep 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 beep, to like actual sound
3: Mm -hmm. Uh,
0: and then obviously some other big advances once cd-rom started to be used to hold games uh, you could actually have because it was on a cd they could burn actual audio tracks to those and it was a one of the biggest leaps forward because suddenly you went from having completely digitally composed music to being able to actually compose music the way it had been done traditionally, whether it was uh, singing or instrumentation or, or whatever, burn it just like a regular CD. And the only difference was uh, like you could even take those CDs most of the time in the early days and drop them in an audio only CD player. And what would happen is the first track would register some weird time, like 48 minutes or something. And it would sound like nothing, or it would sound like some scrambled noises. And then you'd skip to track two, and you'd hear all the audio from the game. Mm. It was amazing. But that was kind of one of the bigger leaps: was going from completely digital content to actual musical content. Um, and then, obviously, as computers became more and more advanced, they be able they began to be able to incorporate that music directly into the game. So it wasn't necessarily that you know you had to have a CD with uncompressed audio on it, they could compress the audio. So there was more. Uh, And then obviously games have taken such a huge leap since then. They've become way more cinematic. They've become way bigger. Mm -hmm. Um, And because of that, they've been able to include even more music in them. Grand Theft Auto is a great example. Grand Theft Auto four. If you buy the entire soundtrack on CD, it is Twenty six CDs, I want to say. What? It's huge, and it's it's so expansive. It covers because it's all music that you would hear playing on the radio.
3: Now that's what so I, I call is... Grand Theft Auto Volume Twenty Four. <laughs> there you
0: go. It's hugely expansive, but um, that's kind of where my like I stopped playing video games for several years between two thousand seven or eight and until maybe 2015 Mm. so that's kind of where my knowledge of what was actually going on behind the scenes ends okay so hopefully christian can pick that up yeah (laughs) fill (laughs) in some (laughs) gaps for us
2: well i've only i've only got one game that's actually in that time period but i've got a, a game on other side as well
3: yeah what do you got history wise you got anything
2: uh Well, I just think it's interesting, just, first of all, how a lot of music back in the day was constructed. Um, Because in the early days, it was just kind of, like, built into it. And then it got into 8-bit territory, things like that, and it started being built into the assembly code. And you had to, like, actually know how to code to put music into games and things like that. And then it's finally gotten to, like Kyle was saying, the compressed audio, and so you could put, like, actual tracks in. Mm -hmm. And... And even from that point, started to develop even more into recording live musicians and live audio and stuff like that and putting that into games. And that's been kind of developing over time. And then we're starting to revert back almost to the technology that's used to make video game music is becoming so advanced, like all of the sound tables and things like that, that they can make orchestral sounding music using computers now. So it's mm-hmm. almost like we're going back.
3: Technology is caught up, essentially. The thing that
0: I thought was super interesting uh, on researching more modern um, video game music was that for years, um, you know, cinema soundtrack was considered like the the highest. Like, you know, if you're working on that, that's in entertainment. That's the highest level of, of achievement that you can reach, especially for, you know, really notable directors and producers and things like that. And slowly game music sort of encroached on it. And we're reaching a point now because you know, gaming is the largest entertainment industry in the world. And because of that, in some, pla- in some places, they've begun to surpass uh, in a lot of people's minds what cinema is doing right now, um, especially when you start talking about taking risks. It's a much easier to take a risk in the gaming world because it's so varied and so broad. Most of the productions in video games are not $250 million productions. There are those. There are, you know, AAA titles that are definitely that big or larger, but a lot of them are independent games. A lot of them are small studios, and they're much more willing to take risks when it comes to, you know, what are we going to do with the music? What are we going to do with the graphics? Um, and because of that, we're starting to see much more crossover where there are people that have been in the movie industry for a very long time that want to do video game soundtracks and people that have been doing video game soundtracks for a long time that are starting to cross over into movie world and actually score films.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: I think that's fantastic because not only does it give us a much better like, base to build the art off of. It also means that you get so much more new content that's exciting, that Mm -hmm. people actually want to listen to, that people actually want to play games and be like, oh, you know, this was so-and-so who scored such and such a movie, or, you know, they're watching a movie and they're like, oh yeah, that's, this track is by that guy who did the video game that I like.
3: Yeah, I feel like the the scale has slid a little bit. Like I would, I would compare it to like maybe the 80s and 90s where in, in the movie industry, you would look down on someone that... Directed television commercials, yeah. or even TV. Oh, you're not a movie director; you're a lesser-known commodity. And same was the it looked on them the same with uh, composers. Like, oh, you do video game music; that's cute, yeah. But I do films, and now I think that scale has slid over where uh, they're all kind of intertwined, and you're you're pulling some of the best and most innovative, uh, innovative composers from video game music to do other things because i know michael i don't even know how to pronounce Gia, giacchino
2: giacchino yeah, yeah i was just about to talk about that yeah oh <laughs> go ahead yeah uh, i mean he got his start uh or at least part of his main start was working on the call of duty and medal of honor games uh in the early 2000s and eventually started to get more and more roles within like the film industry and started scoring things like the incredibles and ratatouille and, Star Trek and uh Space Mountain and Disneyland and things like that, but he started mainly within the video game industry doing these kind of like warlike military games.
3: Hmm. So it's given him some validity to go from one to the other. I, but his his stuff is it's beautiful. Didn't he do Lost as well? Did he do Lost? Yes, he did. Right?
2: It does a lot of the JJ Abrams stuff. Gotcha. Lost, Fringe, all of that. Hmm.
3: So I know I know Christian uh, came today armed with the. Uh, the knowledge to talk about three different video game soundtracks, uh, each with their own unique flavor and sound. So let's go to the albums, Ooh, as it were.
2: So I tried to design this around what I think are like the three main pillars of video game, modern video game music design, and kind of their rise in popularity and their mixing over time. But in the early 2000s, one of the things that started to really gain a rise in popularity was this focus on cinematic, like, expansive music that really captured the feeling of adventure in the games and things like that, and it was really tied to the experience of you playing the games. Uh, So the first album that I picked was the volume one of the Halo 2 soundtrack, released in 2004 by Bungie. And this game, um, and this, like, franchise as a whole is Kind of one of those ubiquitous uh, video game franchises. It has a massive reach. It makes millions and millions of dollars of uh, merchandising, uh, television. There's been some small television things like graphic novels, books, uh, and then all of the games and things like that. But I feel like most, and maybe not most people, but most people, if they have any sort of connection to video gaming at all, have has heard the main Halo Gregorian chant theme at some point in their
3: life. Of course. Yeah. So of the three that we're focusing on today, this is the only one I had heard before you guys, uh, before you pitched the idea of the show to me. So, And not from playing it either, but from hearing you guys, my sons, play it. <laughs> it's, a, it's definitely recognizable.
0: And when this came out, I remember hearing this, this story, uh, about why there's two volumes of this, and I had kind of buried it in the back of my head. And then when you mentioned specifically Volume 1, I started digging this back up, and I was kind of surprised that you picked Volume 1 over Volume 2. So the the big difference is Volume 1 has a bunch of tracks on it by um, well-known artists. It's not just the instrumental music from the game. So like, for example, there's a track by Breaking Benjamin called Blow Me Away, there's a couple of tracks by Incubus, including uh, Follow, Second Movement of the Odyssey. Let me see who else was on here. Huba Stank Uba did a song called Connected. Whereas uh, the second volume has none of that. It's all by the two main composers, uh, Martin O'Donnell and Michael Salvatore. Uh, and I was right. kind of surprised. I kind of figured you would pick the second volume, which is more considered like the actual soundtrack to the game versus this one that was more of a, a marketing add-on for the release of the game but uh, I'm happy that you did cuz I haven't I honestly haven't listened to this in a long time and I was surprised cuz you hear, you know, Incubus and Hoobastank, and you have some expectation in your head. They don't sound like their traditional tracks at all. Right. Which I think is great. I think that it's nice to have a band like that that expands when they're challenged to do something
2: like this. And my uh, my thought process for picking volume 1 over the uh, over volume 2 was the fact that I think that this is a really good example of showing the surge in video game popularity in the mainstream. Like, the album itself was produced by guitarist uh, and legendary producer Niall Rogers. Mm -hmm. Worked with uh, David Bowie, Madonna, had a band called Sheik. Sheik. uh, Worked with Daft Punk and things like that. And the story actually goes that he was working with Maroon 5 on Songs About Jane. And they, they kept, like, missing their appointment in the studio and stuff like that and kept flaking out and stuff like that. And he's like, what's going on? And they're like, you got to come check out this game. And so they went and, and he went and over and kind of, like, saw them playing the original Halo game and just was, like, kind of captured by the music of it. Uh, and so he eventually reached out and found Martin O'Donnell, uh, one of the main composers on the music, and ended up publishing the Halo 1 soundtrack through his distribution company, um, and then ended up going on to produce the Halo 2 soundtrack and getting Incubus and Breaking Benjamin and Hoobastank and stuff like that to sign up because they wanted to write original music for Halo.
3: Oh, that's cool. I didn't know that story. No, me either. But are you trying to suggest that Adam Levine didn't take his time in the studio seriously? Is that what you're
2: suggesting? (laughs) That's, I mean, that's what Martin (laughs) O'Donnell said in an interview. So
3: (laughs) (laughs) going back and listening to it, like uh, my fear was it didn't have that moniker that everybody hates music inspired by Halo. And that's what I was, I'm like, oh, don't let it be like that. Don't be like music inspired (laughs) by Titanic. Like, no, no, (laughs) no, I don't want 90 minutes of that. You know, it was, it was interesting to listen to the suite because the ink of his songs are all part of. Technically, one suite of music that's like 26 minutes long, and it is outside of what I would have expected from Incubus, especially at that time, because they were much bigger then. Yeah, they had a uh, "Nice to Know You" and all that stuff from uh, Morning View, and it, you know, this was a departure for them. It was something like outside of their catalog. It's very good. It's really, really a good piece of music to listen to. This one sold over what hundred thousand copies? Mm-hmm. Which for a video game
0: soundtrack in two thousand four, that's pretty damn good.
3: First ever video game soundtrack to enter the Billboard Top two hundred chart, mm-hmm. and I would say that's uh, that's pretty
2: significant. I think in part some of the the success of Halo and stuff like that just has to do with like Martin O'Donnell was a jingle writer before he worked at Bungie, uh, and so he was working on trying to develop a riff of something that was like atmospheric and ancient and stuff like that, that would be easily caught in your mind. And so he wrote this like Gregorian chant thing. Cause he's like, this is hooky and it ended up managing to become so popular that it's almost superseded Halos popularity as a game. And I feel like one of the things that makes this such an important album is because it was something that was like mixture of all of these different musical styles and artists and things like that at the time, but also managed to become so big in its just kind of sound and stuff like that that it's it would became more popular than the game like if you had any sort of connection to the video game world or you didn't you probably may have heard the halo riff without ever having heard or ever having seen the game which is kind of rare nowadays but still
3: primarily what his his concept was based around what was happening in the game instead of like a theme repeated over and over again right it, it was supposed to be something almost standalone as opposed to something that you just recycled consistently.
2: Right. And and that's kind of something that he's been doing for a long time with games because he, volume two is set up in almost a suite like manner where like there's this ebb and flow that's very similar to classical kind of composing. Um, and even for the game destiny, which he went on and composed later he wrote a musical prologue to Destiny called Music of the Spears, which never got released because of contract stuff. Destiny.
3: I know Destiny. Hey, yeah. I know one.
0: Hey, <laughs> good for you, Matthew.
3: Gold star. Yay. <laughs> Do you have an example from something off this uh, soundtrack that we could hear?
2: Yeah. So um, one of the things specifically is to, to kind of like go into this idea, um, I feel like Music and video games a lot before this time was kind of used as filler. And you were talking about it a little bit before when you were talking about your history of games, kind of as background for the events that it transpired. And there wasn't so much of an emphasis on music as a storytelling or focused device. So you have games like Pokemon and Super Mario that have recognizable themes. And in some ways, Pokemon does have music that kind of propels its story in a thematic importance because there's not a whole a lot of dialogue and stuff that's going on in the game. But if you remove the game from the music, it's kind of hard to see what the story is about for those games or what it involves, where Halo does not have that problem. So we have a clip of The Last Spartan from the game and uh, we'll play it now and I'll kind of go into what I'm trying to talk about. I think that's a really good example of kind of like how the story is shown through the music, because you get elements of this like sci fi kind of world. But this military and war and heroism and all of this stuff all mixing together to kind of showcase the story of Halo and the the universe that it inhabits.
3: It's interesting. It's it's definitely thick. You can definitely hear. I can hear the military in there, that very martial drum beat.
0: It's a, it was a 50-piece orchestra that they used to record this soundtrack, which is pretty impressive for a video game of that time.
3: Yeah. That's like a full that's, orchestra.
0: Yeah. That's like film quality level. I do have one interesting anecdote yeah. that I need to tell you guys about. <laughs> Go for it. Halo 2 came out right after I had graduated from high school. <sighs> I know, right? And uh, I had a friend who... Uh, what's the okay, best first of all, here? First
3: of all, I call it bullshit.
0: Of all, first of all, bullshit. bullshit. I had a friend. <laughs> I guess the best way to, to put this would be that he, uh, he worked with computers and a, wore a uh, dark-colored hat, like a, a black hat. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> Matthew, Matthew looked at me questioning. I, I see. Uh, he he I was see very, did, um, very into uh, that section of computers. One of the things that he did to make some money on the side was he hacked Xboxes. You could put a mod chip in an Xbox and a giant hard drive and then download a bunch of games online illegally and throw them on an Xbox. And now you have an Xbox that you don't have to put discs in to play video games anymore. As part of this, (laughs) about two and a half months before Halo 2 was supposed to come out, he got a pre-release copy of it. So we all got together to play it. And there were two notable things about this copy of Halo. Number one, it was all in French. (laughs) Including the dialogue. (laughs) So if you ever want to hear Master Chief in French, it is fascinating. The second interesting thing was (laughs) it did not have any of the music. So So all the places where the music was supposed to be were either quiet or there was a filler track that was only about 20 seconds long that would loop. Oh, man. So playing (laughs) through the game with this filler track, which is just it's a little like orchestral score. I, I still is buried in my head. Uh, it's just this little orchestral score, but it's, like I said, it's maybe 18 or 20 seconds long and it just loops. And so there are parts of this game where you've heard that loop 500 times <laughs> and you're going insane because of that. I played through halo two once while I had this crappy demo copy of it and yep. didn't, didn't play it again for several years until, uh, uh, maybe 2006 or 2007, When I got a what am I trying to say here when I got uh, my old Xbox had broken and I got another one from a cousin of mine who just gave me his old one with it came a copy of Halo and Halo 2 and I was like oh I should play that again and it was like a totally different game. But your world opened up. My world opened up because I was like oh this is what it's supposed to sound like. Yeah. You mean there's more than 20 seconds. Wow, (laughs) Fascinating. That that was fun. I, I might be one of only a few hundred people who have played Halo with a terrible looping background
3: audio. We 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 chief, huh?
2: Les but, you I mean...
0: Spatten. <laughs>
2: <laughs> I am interested to know kind of what tracks on this album kind of stood out for you. Because I've I've written notes about every single track on this album because I've played through Halo first when I was at Halo 2, at least, first when I was at daycare <laughs> yeah, after school. Yeah.
0: <laughs>
2: <laughs> I mean, I was older than, it, it, it's a whole thing, but um, <laughs> <laughs> but I didn't play through the campaign and stuff until I was older, so I, I heard parts of the music and things like that, but over time, I, I developed more kind of an interest in video game soundtracks, and things like that, and I ended up listening more to it. But I am interested in hearing kind of your perspective on any of the tracks that may have stuck out.
3: Think of his tracks stood out to me just because I was already familiar with their music and this was a departure for them. Uh the the song that uh Steve Vai was on Never but Surrender
2: Vai, I believe. Oh god, Never Surrender. <laughs> <laughs> but it's Steve Vai, so you're like, Steve Vai. Well, Steve Vai's threw out a lot of the soundtrack. He plays guitar through a lot of the soundtrack. And the Halo theme, the the mix, the first song on the the track, the kind of like very hard, metal-y kind of Halo remix thing, a lot of his work on that was just kind of like improv on his first take. <laughs> that makes sense. Really? Huh.
3: Yeah. That's just the kind of guitarist he was, though, he is... He's still, he's still making music. I don't want to say that he's not. Uh, Earth City was pretty good, too.
2: Earth City has a very special place in my heart, and I think that Earth City is also kind of a very important part of the Halo 2 soundtrack because it is so complex. I've looked at sheet music for Earth City because I tried to learn it on the piano. It varies between time signatures of, like, 5 8 and 13-16ths and just, what? like, all over the place of, like, this very complicated, like, classical musical theory piece written into a triple A video game soundtrack hmm. and just kind of shows the, the, that even these bigger games were starting to kind of experiment and bring more of this kind of, like, actual songwriting influence into the games and stuff like
3: that. Is this one that you played in the living room?
2: Uh, I would never have been able to play Earth City on the piano. The piece is way too hard for me. <laughs> I played peril. I played peril on the piano. Okay.
0: I liked uh, orbit of glass. I don't really know why it just listening to this the first time it stood out to me. It was one of the ones where I was like, what the hell is the name of this track? And I actually had to go look.
3: Cause I, I like was, the name. Orbit, it's a, it's a great name. too. Orbit
2: of but, glass. And I think that song is really interesting too, because halo two started to kind of like develop the halo mythos in a way and started to kind of put more of a heavier focus on developing the emotional core of the series And so you have songs like this that kind of show the alien nature of everything. And the title itself is in reference to what the alien fleet were doing to human planets. They were glassing planets, like making them completely flat type thing. Oh, wow, I didn't know that. Completely decimating the planets. And so there's this this strange kind of alien, sparkly, twinkly sound in our orbital glass to kind of mimic that. Oh, that makes more sense.
0: Oh, cool. I had no idea that was like (laughs)
3: I made a note. I made a note. I wrote down "mythos." I feel like that word doesn't get enough usage either. We should (laughs) use "mythos" more often.
2: (laughs) So that sounds like that's Halo Two. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Halo Two is is very firm place in my heart. The Halo series in general, but I think that Halo Two managed to pave the way for more experimental music and more focus on kind of putting time and effort into games and stuff like that, and starting to mix the music into the gameplay because you have moments in Halo where you're playing and the music swells during specific parts and stuff like that. I think that's really kind of showcased in the following game, the next game that I have on here, um, which kind of focuses on the interactivity of music in games and how that started to grow and rise out of this kind of like focus on composing that enhances the feeling of playing the game and the interaction between you and the creation slash game world, uh, and so the next album that I've chosen was the soundtrack album for the game Fez, released in twenty twelve.
3: This one surprised me because it really sounded like an updated version of the music that used to be in the games of my generation. <laughs> it sounds like a grown up eight bit version, like yeah. it's 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 our it's my video game music on steroids is what it is.
2: And and I think that it's 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 got such a very. Kind of important place, and the gameplay itself kind of relies a lot on that kind of older '80s '90s aesthetic, where it is kind of pixel art game. The gameplay sees you playing as a small humanoid, like white humanoid type thing. I don't know how to describe it. That's about right. His name is Gomez, and he's summoned by an entity who breaks his 2D world into three dimensions. And then you have to solve puzzles by rotating the entire world in three dimensions. So you're like creating bridges and passageways by rotating its 3d space into two dimensions and layering those things over each other.
3: Right. So there's no bad guy, no boss, no villain, right? It's no. just, it's a puzzle game, which is, yeah. doesn't surprise me at all that you've gravitated to something like this.
0: <laughs> I remember seeing this when it came out and just being like, wait, you do what now, and it's like, oh, you you rotate the two dimensional game into a third dimension to get another two dimensional game, and then you rotate it another way to get to another two dimension. It's like, oh my god,
3: it's one of those games that he would he plays and probably would make me throw up if I like <laughs> watch the room. Like, oh, flip, 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 flip.
0: right, <laughs> I'm fine.
3: So what? So the music was composed by a musician named Rich Vreeland, otherwise known as Disaster Piece. That is correct, yes. As Randy rolls his eyes. (laughs) I also think we should probably take just a second
0: to uh, talk about, because you mentioned that this reminds you a lot of games, uh, game music from the 80s. Are
3: you going to say something about chiptune?
0: I am going to say something about chiptune. So uh, in case anybody out there doesn't know, there's a whole genre of music called chiptune music. Uh, And it got its name because um, electronic hackers began to take apart old video game consoles, uh, early Nintendos, early Ataris. Sega Genesis is huge uh, in this. Um, and the way they worked at the electronics level, most of the time in the early days, was there was one chip that was, uh, uh, handled all the music. It's literally a separate from the processor. It's separate from everything else. That's why you could do um, different types of music on the Nintendo and the Sega Genesis and things like that. Um they would take those chips out and hack them to be able to get the sounds out of them. Hmm. So, for example, like the little coin noise from this is Mario, quite the process. Oh, yeah. <laughs> uh, in the early days, it was it was very, very complicated. Um so like, for example, the coin noise in Mario is stored on that chip or created by that chip, I should say. It's created by some code that's injected into that chip, and then it spits out the coin noise. They would figure out how to do that. And then they began to take it and morph it into making new types of music with it. So instead of just spitting out the same type of, you know, feeding it the code that they used to feed it to spit out a a classic video game uh, noise or sound, they began feeding it new code. And they began to make very complicated songs, and in musical compositions with it. And they have gotten, as this has progressed, I mean, I think I first heard about this maybe 15-ish years ago. And at the time, it was very basic. Now it's to a point where there are, um, I know there's a, oh, I should have written down their name. There's a group out there oh. that uh, it has made an entire orchestra based on chiptune music using... Um, Chips from different game consoles, as well as there are now people who make their own chips, and there are also chip emulators that you can run on a computer. So you can say, you don't have to take apart the electronics anymore. You don't have to sit there and solder wires to things to make it work. Mm. You can emulate it all on a computer now.
3: I smell a um, judo chop coming up. I have
0: thought about it, actually. <laughs> I have actually, it's one, my, it's one of my suggestions for a judo chop. All right. Um, but uh, Rich Vreeland is one of the, one of the people who mm-hmm. is very big in the scene, the chiptune scene. There's another, uh, a very, very, how do I put this into English here? Something that a lot of people would recognize the intro to the TV show, The Goldbergs, oh, okay, is uh, by a band called I Fight Dragons, and they do a whole bunch of chiptune music. All right. Um, so if you've ever heard the introduction to The Goldbergs on ABC, that's a chiptune song. So hopefully a lot of people have. I don't know. <laughs> but that's a, that's a little aside. I knew that we had to talk about it once you brought up how 80s this sounded and how yeah. old video game it sounded. That's uh, that's what it is. It's a whole uh, genre of music now.
2: Rich rerolling. I'll just refer to him as a disaster piece because that's his like music <laughs> name. Um, he originally wanted to record the majority of this soundtrack on cassette because he wanted the sound and stuff like that, but he couldn't because of the way that this game uses its music. Cassette has a very very slight movement in terms of speed. So it it, it, it um, oscillates. oscillates. Yeah, oscillates pretty consistent, like pretty minor ways in speed, but makes it so you can't attach musical elements to specific things that happen in the game, which is a very important part of Fez because there is no dialogue in the game. There is no kind of like story on the surface level for the game. It, the game relies so much on the environment and the music as storytelling devices. So much so that the music in the game is actually built into the environment. Like Disaster Piece was given a audi- a custom built audio pack by the lead programmer Renault Bedard. I may have butchered that name. He sounds that allowed him Allowed him to go into the game and place musical cues in like terms of height in the level, or time of day, or like as you move left and right, or make specific movements in the game, and. Have these specific cues occur depending on how the game is played
3: that was one of the things that that I had written down is that these these are these games are so much more developed than I could have ever anticipated music wise like besides just really remarkable composition aspects they 're just smart design elements like the the music changes keys depending on the in game time of day like who 's thinking of that? <laughs> And you most likely don't even know it's happening when you're playing it until it's kind of pointed out as like, as a shift, which then makes it part of gameplay. And it's strange. It's, it's, it's interesting. It's, it's not anything that I would have even considered as, as an element to design the music with intention of it affecting how the game is played. Like you would think it's background, it's, it's wallpaper And you make pretty wallpaper for a for a pretty game, but it's actually intended to give you visual or or audio cues in while you're playing the game. Yeah. Like I don't what was that? What's that name of the what's the name of that game you were playing when you were here with that one that was making us sick? Oh, Thumper? Thumper. (laughs) Where you were like, You hear that? And I'm like, what? I hear a lot of noise. And you go, no, right before I'm supposed to turn a corner there's a sound and I'm like, what the hell are you talking about? <laughs> and Like, I really had to like tune in, but there's, there's an audio cue, like a click or a thump, like right before he's supposed to turn. And cause you can't see the, the turn coming. So he's like, I'm like, how are you knowing at that speed that there, that you're supposed to turn right now? And he's like, well, I can hear it. I'm like, what do you mean you can hear it? <laughs> <laughs> and I'm like, what? And there it is. And that, that's just smart design for, people that are way more advanced in their brain than I am
2: (laughs) and I mean the whole game is built around this idea and I think uh, uh, we have a clip for Sync pulled up and um, which kind of perfectly exemplifies this and showcases the kind of like how the game cues you into specific things that are going on So that last section, the, the, like, yeah, those specifically and the, in the, (laughs) the clicks that come with it show when the platforms are appearing and the two clicks that follow it are it fading away. So it gives you a timer about when these platforms are going to show up and when they're going to disappear mixed into the music. And as you go up further and further in the level, the music becomes more complex and, kind of showcases those clicks a little bit more, apparently.
3: Did you know that before? I did. When you played the game for the first time, did you know that that had any sort of relevance to what you were doing? Or did you did it just occur to you as you were playing that, oh, that's happening at the same time as that?
2: Yeah, so the the music was actually, is the solution to the puzzle for oh. that area. Because <sighs> you use the music to get through these platforms because otherwise you're just, you're going to be fumbling around trying to figure out what the rhythm is for this section. That's messed up. And, and it even, <laughs> the, the game even goes further into music being so integrated into the game that there is a puzzle that can only be solved in the game. If you run specific pieces of the music through a spectrogram.
3: Yeah. I wrote that down. That, yeah, me too. It's like an Easter egg type thing. Like, yeah. <laughs> I, I'm sorry, I don't have a spectrogram. <laughs> so what do I do? Right. It's very interesting, like how, how it's constructed. What else you got on that one? I like the song Glitch.
2: Glitch, yes. So Glitch occurs in a secret room in the game. It's somewhat difficult, more difficult to find, but it takes all of the elements of the game like all of the blocks found throughout the rest of the game and puts them and randomizes them in this little worlds thing and plays this song, which is almost an amalgamation of all, a lot of the other songs.
0: I'm glad that you picked a, a, a little clip from Sync because I think that's actually my favorite on here.
3: That's cool. It's it's a it's a good one. Do You had another uh, clip, didn't you, Christian?
2: Yeah, and I think that this other clip kind of goes along with kind of leading into the next album, but it's just kind of this idea that the music not only in Fez is tied to the gameplay, but it's also kind of in parts tied to the emotional storytelling. The gameplay in Fez has a lot of this kind of like storied element of like isolation and optimism and mystery and adventure, and you see it throughout the entire soundtrack. And the clip that's going to follow, we have a clip from the song Majesty, which plays when you first come across a completely different civilization that you weren't really expecting to find in your adventure.
3: So that's cool. Yeah. <laughs> there is there is optimism there. It's so like I just made a I just made a note over here cuz I'm like hey, you you and I know Collectively, you, your generation, your whatever, you get so much more out of video games than I ever did. <laughs> like You're talking about hope and optimism and how, you know, in isolation, and all that. You know, I was happy when the frog made it across the freaking road. <laughs>
0: <laughs> I was going like to say, hold on a minute. You got cherries and pretzels. and That's true. Yeah, yeah. That's true.
3: <laughs> <laughs> and I, think it's, I think it's fantastic that there's that much emotional depth in these games that you can extract that from from something that's also entertaining to do but yeah it's it's a totally different world for me to hear those kind of emotional words those kind of serious human words associated with video games and it's you know I know it's I know you guys have been doing it forever but still it's it's like wow I didn't I I think it's a great piece of music And I wouldn't have ever attached optimism to it until you said that. And then once you said it, I'm like, oh, it does sound like a hopeful song. It does actually have a hopeful sound to it. And I think that's, uh, it's
2: excellent. And I think that where that is, is it time to go to the next one? It is.
0: I got (laughs) two more notes I got to talk about with this one. It is. Okay. Okay. Sorry. (laughs) So uh, first thing, uh, very, very successful. Uh, shot to the top of when they released the soundtrack for this. Uh, shot to the top of uh, Bandcamp's uh, most requested list um, yeah. for several weeks. Uh, Disasterpiece also has released two remix albums. One is called the FZ Side F. Uh, he released it sense. April 20th, 2013, and has tracks from other artists, including Jim Guthrie. Disasterpiece also released another remix album uh, called FZ Side Z which has, uh, it's mostly just remixes of uh, the other two albums. But uh, they're very interesting remixes if you want to go listen to something uh, a little bit different than this. The other thing I wanted to say was Disaster's Piece has also released several studio albums and EPs of his own work, uh, a lot of chiptune work in there. Uh, so if you're interested, you can go listen to those. He also did the soundtrack for 2014's uh, It Follows, the movie by uh, David Robert Mitchell.
2: Which is an incredible film.
0: Yes, it is. Uh, he's also done uh, tons and tons of other video game soundtracks. Uh, the two that I recognize the most were Hyperlight Drifter and The Floor Is Jelly.
2: Hyperlight Drifter, also an incredible game. And the
3: floor <laughs> was lava. The, the floor, floor is jelly.
2: In
0: this case, the floor is jelly, Matthew. Oh my gosh! But uh, yeah, if you're interested in uh, ChipTune, go check. Go check out some of the disaster pieces of the work and this album. You'll do. You,
3: uh, do you have that written down in your show notes to
2: add. I will put it on there. Yeah. Uh, an interesting side about It Follows, the director actually had put Fez music into It Follows as a placeholder before bringing piece in. <laughs> so kind of more showing that like blending of video game music and art film imi- music over time.
3: Art imitates life, imitates
2: art. <laughs> and he had almost no time to write the, the soundtrack. So there is a lot of Fez in the it follows soundtrack if you listen to them side by side there are songs that sound almost like they could be swapped for each either one Mm
3: -hmm. Mm -hmm.
2: going into that idea of the music kind of informing the meaning of the game and the music being built into explaining why this game is important why this game is trying to say what it's trying to say we have the third pillar which is starting to kind of come up out more in video games in the modern time is this kind of atmospheric emotional music that's tied to the meaning and the third album that i've chosen is the album for the 2019 game outer wilds by mobius digital and anna perna
3: first of all this is seriously unlike anything i've heard when it comes to the construct of a video oh, well, yeah. video game music it stands completely alone as a body of music when I listened to it the, for, the, for the very first time, and this was outside of the game environment, uh, it completely like enveloped me for its breadth, you know, its wide range of sound image or sound usage and mood and texture. This game, you know, I know Christian, you're going to talk about it, but it took seven years to develop this game. So just being able to write music at that kind of sloth speed right. and make it important is amazing in its own right. But, you know, it's, It's very much to me, it sounded less like a sound track and more of a sound scape when I listened to it. It was almost overwhelmingly huge in parts. It's it's quite something.
0: Doing the research for this album makes me want to play this game. I know. Like I had never heard of it before this, and I, I like, just bought it because I'm like, I gotta play. I don't even like video games. Think, so I'm like, you, I gotta play. I, I want to explain really quick what the the premise of this game is, if that's okay. Unless you, I would
2: I would stray from saying what the ending of the game is. Okay, if, if at all possible. I, yeah, <laughs> I, I didn't look up what the ending was
0: because I want to be okay. surprised. But, uh, so basically, the, the game mechanic works like this: um, you are somebody called the player character. You uh, are on this planet, and you have to explore. The trick is that every 22 minutes, the sun goes supernova and you start over again. So the only thing that you retain is any knowledge that you've gained along the way. So, And the ultimate goal is to sort of explore the entire solar system in 22 minutes. (laughs) In 22-minute increments, I guess is the right way to put it. That concept alone, to me, I was like, wait a minute. So you have to explore an entire solar system in 22 minutes. Little increments, So you have to go find one little piece of a puzzle and then die. And yeah. then when you start back up, mm-hmm. you can be like, okay, I can put this piece. I can make this piece work now. Oh, it opens up another thing. So now I've got 22 minutes to find that before I die right. again. And then I have to put that piece in place. It sounds
2: fascinating. But stuff still changes too. Yes. Yeah, there, there's things that you can only access during the beginning of the loop. There's things that you can only access during the end of the loop. The whole solar system that you explore is changing from the beginning of that 22 minutes to the end. The best explanation of the game came from their explanation of the game that I've heard. And is that it's about curiosity based exploration.
0: Ooh, Hmm.
2: I like that description. I do. Um, But I think this game just has something so much bigger than just it's a sci-fi game where you explore solar system because Along the way, you're like grappling with learning about ancient civilizations and how they disappeared, Uh, the isolation of space travel, but the togetherness its discoveries create. And then you also deal with quantum physics and existential dread and the the hope for new life and legacy.
0: So a regular Uh, Tuesday. Existential
2: dread. I have that all the time. (laughs) And I think that the music had almost the impossible task of trying to make all of that work together. Um, So it chose to situate itself so close To just this idea of gentle human entanglement with nature and each other. And you have this, just this visual of just a campfire jamboree throughout the entire album.
3: Yeah.
0: And it's definitely like, if you have not listened to this album yet, listeners, uh, it is not what you would expect from a sci-fi game. It's almost, it's almost like Appalachian music. Like, yeah, it's, that's the descriptor that came to my mind. It's so listening weird. to this, but it's it's
3: it's great. Yeah. And it's and it fits very well.
2: Yeah, I, I wrote down the sentence. It's it's a game where you can roast marshmallows on a fire immediately before attempting to fly into the unknown to stop the end of the world. Mm, <laughs> that's a
3: smart idea too. <laughs> make a s'more and then go save the world. That's a good idea.
2: And you can immediately when you wake up in the loop. The loop you can roast in marshmallow just on the fire <laughs> next to somebody. <laughs> uh,
3: uh, that's so great, though. And, and uh the uh what the composers Andrew Prelo, yes, right, yes. and he used like post-punk indie rock references, kind of real subtle in the back, and it's all mixed, blended together, and it has this real great tapestry of like texture. And it's so smartly designed uh, I know I'm sure you have something about him, but he wrote incidental music and trailer music for the Martian for Westworld for EA sports games like Madden fifteen so I think that you know his ability to write shorter pieces of music that can somehow relate to an overall big picture lends itself really well to writing video game music and these can be standalone pieces but can also be part of a larger narrative and i think that's where he excels best at
2: and i think that uh, the game and the music try so hard to tell this this story of humanity in a way that i just think that even movies and stuff like that aren't able to accomplish in some ways uh at least a lot of movies that attempt this kind of thing and it's just trying to show It's just so much bigger than just music in a way. I I mean, I, I have a personal kind of like anecdote story that I could tell. Go for it. Where I like, for the majority of my like conscious adult and somewhat childhood teenage life, I have had this unbelievable and terrible fear of death and dying and just what happens after all of that happens and there's just something about this soundtrack i've listened to this soundtrack probably over a hundred times all the way through in the last maybe six months that's a lot because there's something about this that makes that has this kind of like soothing feeling of acceptance it's just accepting, and the game is about that, accepting what will eventually be will be doing everything you can to learn and grow and help those around you be better better, and happier in the long run. And it's just this feeling of comfort in knowing that you don't really know all the answers, but it might be okay. There's an optimism to the, the tragedy mm. of this sun exploding all the time.
3: Mm. The music is almost reassuring. when you listen to
2: it just to kind of like showcase the general feeling of the the campfire thing we have the first clip which is um part of the main title theme outer wilds And it's it's just so that specifically is so comforting. Is that that a banjo? It is a banjo, and he actually made the decision for a banjo very early on in the game's production. Hmm. He was brought in almost at the beginning of the game's production and worked with them through its release. And I think that the 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 other clip that we have is from the credit song. And this song in particular feels in some ways the most beautiful song that I personally have ever heard. That's saying something. Yeah. And it just every single time I listen to it, I get chills, but I feel at rest.
3: Powerful. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. There's a couple of songs that stand out to me as well. Uh, Timber Hearth, which is the, the opening track, I mm-hmm. think is just absolutely fabulous. And that was, you know, that's the first thing I heard going cool. for a run. And I'm like, oh, holy shit. What is this? <laughs> this is not at all what I expected. And uh, I also liked uh, Travelers and uh, The Search is uh, a little darker. Yeah, which which I liked. Yeah, it's uh, it's excellent. I
0: really liked fourteen point three billion years. That's what that, that was. Yeah, that was a
3: clip. Yeah. Was yeah, it yeah.
0: was. Uh, it's it's such a standout piece. It uh, I don't know what it is. I I agree with you, Christian. It's uh something about it. It's very special.
3: Yeah, it hits uh, it hits some very specific spots. Very yeah. like a, as a as a composition. Like he knows when to change keys. He knows when when to to change it a little bit and it's like whoa and uh that's something
2: it's just so much bigger than just music for for a video game it just it manages to expand the space you're in like show the universe at your feet type thing and just all of the the ways out in front of you all of your the potential paths that you could take while also just feeling really like hey you've got this this is fine
3: right that's uh that's quite that's quite a statement. So I have a I have a quote from a while back. This is an older quote. Uh in nineteen eighty two, Clive Davis, president of Arista Records, wrote an editorial in Billboard magazine refuting an industry fear that video games would drive the music industry out of business. The title was You Can't Hum a Video Game. Although his main point was correct in that video games have not rendered recorded music obsolete, his title was dead wrong. Only three years later Super Mario Brothers would be released, and its tune would become ingrained on the brain of every American child to an extent few rock stars could match. Today, 66% of college students polled can hum its melody, even though many of them haven't played the games for years, end quote. So, it's not going away.
2: No. The video probably. game
3: industry, in terms <laughs> of sheer revenue, dwarfs the movie industry. Movie industry last year, 2019 grossed 42.5 billion dollars. The music industry grossed 11.1 billion dollars. The video game industry in 2019 alone, 120.1 billion dollars.
0: So more than double the film and music industry combined.:
3: Correct. So it's no wonder the games have turned cinematic to incorporate the best of Hollywood, and it should be no surprise that it will incorporate the best composers and musicians going forward because that's where the money is.
0: Surprise!
3: But yeah. it's a fascinating genre to explore, one that I've really kind of only begun to try out as from his insistence.
2: <laughs>
3: yeah. uh, but there are so many unique paths and avenues to 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 take in this particular type of music and I think it's pretty great and and your personal touches to it your 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 relationship to it something I knew surface wise but I don't think I knew to what extent and that uh you know as a music fan that's important as a father it's even more important to hear how stuff like that impacts you and that's uh that's really fantastic that you you can find uh, comfort and reassurance in, in something like that. I think that's, uh, I think it's fantastic. Um, so we are super glad Christian that, that, that you joined us today.
0: Yeah, thank you. It's uh it's nice to talk to somebody who has more personal experience with what we're talking about, more, yeah. more upfront experience, especially because we're both not huge video gamers.
3: <laughs> no, but it's, uh, it's relevant it's definitely relevant in today's kind of music uh uh atmosphere that uh, that you uh that we tackle a subject like this because because it is so relevant and important yeah. and uh we're glad that you were here to uh set us straight
0: yeah about this stuff
3: <laughs> um i encourage you know people to go check out those not not just the soundtracks but go check out those games as well um and how uh, the music interacts with the games itself. Yeah. We'll,
0: uh, we'll definitely have to have you come back at some point in the future and talk some more video game music, because it's like we said at the beginning of the episode, it is such an expansive field, and we haven't even gotten into, uh, like when Matthew first said, oh, Christian wants to do like uh, video game music, my first thought was stuff like uh, Dance Dance Revolution and um... <laughs> Right. Uh, like Guitar guitar hero, <laughs> hero and Rock Band and all those. And I was like, oh, that's really cool because it's kind of a tie into like a lot of the like classic music right. and, or classic rock music and stuff that we talk about a lot on this episode. And then he's like, no, no, like music composed specifically for video games. I was like, oh, OK, cool. But uh, <laughs> I, I definitely think that there's, there's so much here. And it's something that, you know, I mean, we haven't even made a scratch on the surface of it talking about these albums today.
3: No. No, and yeah, when I, he first proposed it, he's like, so how many? And I'm like, well, like three. Three? <laughs> I'm like, I'm sorry, I'm
2: sorry. Yeah, I had some trouble whittling it down. <laughs>
3: <laughs> but we're we're very glad that you joined us. If you would like to uh, get a hold of Kyle or I, mm. uh, you can get a hold of us at info at audiojudo.com. Yeah, please
0: uh, give us a quick email if you, uh, if you have like a, a video game soundtrack or a video game that you really connected with. Uh, Let us know what it is. We want to hear about it.
3: Absolutely. Uh, You can go to facebook.com forward slash audio judo, Twitter, uh, audio judo, Instagram at audio judo. Mm -hmm. Uh, You can go to our Patreon account at patreon.com forward slash audio judo, and uh, we'll probably end up having to put some some bonus content up talking (laughs) about video games and music (laughs) like that stuff, because I'm sure there's a – well, like you said, there's a mine – of stuff.
0: Oh, yeah. Uh, and if you do want to support the the podcast a little bit, uh, like Matthew said, our Patreon page is a great place to go. Uh, it's, what, three bucks a month for the first year? Yes. And uh, it's you get some bonus content. Uh, not only that, you can help us out a little bit. Uh, pay to keep the lights on in here. You can also buy
3: some merch with our logo on it. Oh, yeah, I could do that. Uh, if you go to uh, audiojudo.com at the top, click on Shop. And if you're interested in getting some artwork that Ooh, has yeah. your favorite uh, um. Album or song uh, visualized, uh, you can go. There's a link on our website uh, to volumetricdesign.com um, and uh, they will put something together for you. So uh, we are glad that you joined us. Thank uh, you again, Christian, for being here. Yep. And thank uh, you for
2: having me.
3: And we will talk to you guys in a couple of weeks. And take care, everybody. Bye bye.